This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. From the Financial Times in London, I'm Miles Johnson, and this is FT Investigations. Hanaji is a tale of a modern-day corporate Icarus who soared on wings of debt and inflated stock valuations glued together with the promise of revolutionizing the solar industry. Its founder, Li Hejun, for a few short months became the richest man in China before Hanaji shares came crashing down in one brutal half-hour of trading. Some people have called Hanaji China's Enron. Hanaji accumulated debt in China's shadow financing market on the strength of its rising share price, a practice widely pursued elsewhere in corporate China. In recent years, levels of non-financial corporate debt have been soaring in China, but without the capacity of borrowers to pay it back, says George Magnus, associate at Oxford University's China Centre and a senior economic advisor to UBS. There are institutional blockages which stop banks from recognising bad debt. But, you know, you can't hide it forever. So at some point, these bad debts will have to be recognised and accounted for and paid for. And at that point, you know, growth in China will fall even further than it has done already. Debts will have to be written off. There'll be defaults, restructuring, and so on. Of course, that does have global implications over and above what we already see today. In this podcast, we're going to show how Hanaji built up large debts of its own and how few people at the time seemed to question how it was going to pay them back. At a time when the volatility in China's stock markets has alarmed the world's investors, Hanaji's rise and fall provides a cautionary tale that could serve as a warning about levels of corporate indebtedness in one of the world's biggest economies. The tale is also a reminder that even in seemingly well-regulated Hong Kong, what you don't know can hurt you. My colleague Lucy Hornby in Beijing takes up the story. This is the voice of Li Hejun extolling the virtues of his company, whose seemingly unstoppable rise baffled stock market watchers. Many of China's tycoons have connections to powerful figures in the Communist Party, but no one seemed to know who exactly was behind this solar panel entrepreneur. Mr. Li appeared to be a visionary, declaring that his company's new take on solar technology would transform the world. While many solar companies were losing money, he was talking big. Hanergy was going to be the apple of green energy, he said. It was going to achieve things no other company had done, like building a fully solar-powered car. Solar power, Mr. Li is saying here, is mankind's newest fuel. His message is music to China's ears. Here's a fuel that's cheap, that can't be cut off by the Americans, and best of all, here's a man developing technology that China can claim as its own. Even better, Mr. Li was rich, so he must be successful. At the end of 2014, I was having a conversation with a contact of mine who casually dropped a reference to a very big Hong Kong company they said they just couldn't understand. 
This company was experiencing a truly staggering increase in its value, jumping up by billions of dollars each week in a way that my contact had never seen before. The company was Hanaji Thin Film, a solar panel equipment maker I had never heard of. Not many others had heard of this company either. There were almost no investment analysts covering the stock. People in the solar sector did not know why Hanaji Thin Film was suddenly snapping up bankrupt solar companies in the US and Europe. Solar is a very competitive industry, and what Hanaji was doing was selling itself as a particularly advanced solar company. It said it was pursuing a thin, flexible technology that other companies had found very difficult to perfect, and which Hanaji said would revolutionize the solar industry. Hanaji shares were on a tear. They had more than tripled in 2014 alone, and by March of 2015, the company was worth almost 40 billion US dollars. Since Mr. Lee controlled three-quarters of the firm, he had become one of the world's richest men, at least on paper, in seemingly record time. Obviously, I was intrigued. This seemed like a big, big business story, but no one was really writing about it. This was a company that was suddenly worth more than big US technology groups like Twitter and Tesla, but it seemed from where I was sat in London that no one outside of China seemed to care. Either this was one of the biggest business success stories of all time, or this huge growth was just too good to be true. And here's what was weird. All of Hanaji Thin Film's profits seemed to come from selling equipment to the mainland Chinese parent that owned it. Not only that, but the parent also didn't seem to be paying much of the money back to the listed company for the equipment it was buying. So essentially, this company was booking fat profits with money that it wasn't actually receiving. Miles started calling, saying, this company is very weird. But I didn't initially think it was all that unusual. The reason is that the version of a Chinese company that's listed on the stock market is not quite the same as a Chinese company as a whole. So, for instance, if I'm an investor and I buy ExxonMobil, I would expect Exxon's results to reflect all the business that Exxon did that year. But if I buy a Chinese company, Usually the best assets are incorporated into the listed company, but the other assets are held outside in the parent. So the listed company's performance is not at all the same as the parent's. And in many cases, the two sides do a lot of business with each other. However, one solar analyst based in Hong Kong, Charles Yance of CLSA, had also started to look at Mr. Lee's Hanergy empire. He asked in one report, Hanergy, are they really that good? Every time I sit down to try to work out how my calls have worked over the past 12 months and assess the upcoming trends, I get distracted by the same outlier, Honergy. Mr. Yance just couldn't justify the current stock price using his normal valuation methods. On one hand, you've got a market cap greater basically than all the other solar companies in China. On the other hand, no one seems to have heard of Honergy panels out in the wild anywhere. I invited myself over to an interview at the company's Beijing headquarters. Everyone who goes to the Hanergy headquarters gets the exact same tour. First, you watch a corporate promo movie in this enormous room with massive wooden rafters and a gigantic table. It's all made of rosewood, and that's a tropical tree that's really expensive and very, very endangered. I felt it was an odd choice for a company that's supposed to be environmentally friendly. There are some pretty grandiose offices, and once again full of this heavy woods furniture. Mr. Lee's office is the grandest, with a giant scroll on the wall featuring a poem from the Han Dynasty. It's worth noting that Hanaji in Chinese translates as Han energy or Han power, Han being a term for the Chinese people. 
Yeah, you can't go wrong in China by appealing to Chineseness. And that, of course, is what Hanergy did with the idea that its thin film solar technology was going to win the energy and the technology race for China. But you need to be producing something to fulfill that promise. And after a two-hour meeting with Mr. Li Hojun's right-hand man, Frank Dai, in those grand offices, it wasn't clear to me that Hanergy was producing much at all. We had seen some accounts from Hanergy factories, and these showed that there was a lot of debt and very little production. Mr. Dai justified the high levels of money that the parent company owed to the listed company by saying that it would eventually be paid up when the production ramped up in the future. At this stage, they have to be losing money, but by the end, there will be no problem. It's like we own a big house, but we're only using a few bedrooms now. When we're using all the bedrooms, it'll be totally different. It's the same situation for all the solar energy companies. So Mr. Dai acknowledged that Hanergy wasn't selling much at that stage, but he said it was like investing in a house with many rooms. You might spend a lot of money on it, but you'll make it back once you rent the rooms out. We wrote a long article raising our concerns, and so began a journey that would take us deep into the secret ways of raising money in China and Hong Kong. In the next episode, we tell the story of how Hanergy's empire came crashing down. So listen tomorrow to follow the story. This podcast was produced by Fiona Simon. The music was by David Sapper. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.